live from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good podcast. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fight for Good podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley, broadcasting from the Salvation Army National Headquarters in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, right across the Potomac from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining us today for another exciting episode. Here with me, working remotely once again, as he's been doing for the last seven months, our War Cry Editorial Director, Mr. Jeff McDonald. Greetings, Colonel. So good to be with you. A great topic today, one that's pressing, is technology an albatross or a hot air balloon? Look at you. Look at you. I was just asking. I was just going to ask you if the walls in your basement are closing in on you. Obviously, it's true. I mean, (laughs) also with us is our wonderful, illustrious, creative, nice, one of the nicest people on the planet, Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello there. And Elizabeth, this is going to be episode in the 60s or 70s, I think. We haven't associated a, a number to it yet, have we? Not yet, but 60s indeed. 60s indeed. Jeff, we've been, can you imagine we've been doing this for over a year now? Yeah, it's so enjoyable and it's so great to be in conversations with the people we have on and with you. Um, It's just, it's a great experience. We love it and we love the opportunities that we have to share with our listeners and certainly our readers of the warcry.org and peermag.org. It's very exciting and it's a real positive time. And we got a positive message. I'm just, I'm, I'm excited about this today. We're speaking to with today with author Arlene Pelican. She is a co-author of a book called Screen Kids, Five Skills Every Child Needs in a Tech-Driven World, as well as the new book, Grandparenting, Screen Kids, How to Help, What to Say, and Where to Begin. I know, Jeff, you're going to be delving into that grandparenting as a new grandpa yourself. I'm I'm certain you're going to tell your grandson all about this. (laughs) Oh, man. The video games. I could just imagine the video games. <laughs> well, it's interesting. My grandson Callum is four years old and he's already he already has his Kindle Fire and you know the, the kids reading and his vocabulary is for a four-year-old that just blows me away. He speaks better than I do, and it's it's amazing. But the technology is out there and the good and bad and whatever, and we've got an expert with us today. Arlene, we welcome you into the Fight for Good podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Great to join you. We are uh, excited to, to hear a little bit about um, your journey and uh, where the uh, how this book came about and and uh, what uh, what things that you've learned from it. We have you know a whole bunch of questions that w- we can ask you today. But first, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are. Yes, I have three children with my husband, James, and they are, I have two in high school now and one in sixth grade. And when I started writing about technology and kids, my kids were much younger. So, you know, maybe six or seven years ago. And the idea was, okay, wherever we go, when we're at the grocery store, now a child is sitting in the cart, but they're looking at an iPad. And when we go to a restaurant, they're looking at iPads. And when we go to church, they're looking at iPads. And we're thinking, wait a minute, this is not what childhood is supposed to look like. So it was just that desire 
to say, what can we contribute to this conversation to show that, yes, screens are part of life, that's inevitable, but for a growing child, it is best to talk to people and play with blocks and play with Legos and read books and sing songs and skin your knees and and play with friends in real life. And how can we encourage people to do that? So we've done a lot of research over the last few years. We I've been working with Dr. Gary Chapman, who is, of course, the expert from the five love languages, really trying to help parents ask that central question, is technology bringing your family closer together or is it tearing it apart? Because we have this idea like, oh, we'll get this, you know, TV and we'll all watch it together, you know, and you watch it once. And then the rest of the time, everyone's watching individually. So so our home is much different. We have a lot of technology, so we're not afraid of tech. But the big change is we said very early on, no video games because we just knew that was going to be a slippery, slippery slope and no social media because we felt that was not a good place to find your identity. And to be honest, those kinds of choices have made all the difference. So we have a boy junior in high school, girl freshman in high school, and they are surviving. <laughs> They're doing just fine. They live and breathe without social media. Can you believe it? <laughs> well, let's let's follow the science a little bit. You and Dr. Chapman and I, I imagine a whole lot of people have been kind of studying this and watching in particular for the effects of so much screen time. And it's interesting now because most of the children across the United States are forced to to uh, go to class. I, we know here in Fairfax County, every, almost every kid is going, you know, they're sitting in front of their, their computers all day long. What, what sort of, what sort of effects does that have on a child's development? Yes. And we are the same. We are hundred percent distance learning here in San Diego, California. And you know, this is a different time with COVID because of the online school. But I would say that first of all, to understand all screen time is not equal. So to think of it, there is addictive screen time and that's what you have to be careful of. And that's the stuff that your kid is nagging you about. You know, there's not a child that's like, mom, I need to Skype grandma again. Like, please give me the phone again. I have got to talk to grandma again. I just talked to her an hour ago and I just need to talk to her again, right? There's not a kid in the world waking up like, I got to get on my math lesson, mom. I love that. I love that math, what they do. All those videos are amazing. I need, right? So, so you need to understand if your child is doing school for eight hours because of the pandemic, most likely they're going to emerge unscathed by that. They're not going to come out addicted thinking, oh, I, I really need to do online school again. However, if your child's doing online school, but while they're doing online school, they're playing a video game on the side and they're chatting with their friends and they're scrolling through social media, these are some habits that are going to be really problematic. And to think of your child's brain under development, you know, until age 25, and particularly as your children are young, just think it's a dirt road. That brain is a dirt road. When I we bought our home to be close to my parents, it was just in dirt. And my parents assured me, don't worry, this community will get built up. But can you imagine if no roads came and I was just stuck in a house surrounded by dirt? And for a lot of kids in their brain development, instead of instead of developing this road to, oh, this is these are facial expressions. This is how people express themselves. This is how I understand. Oh, she's confused. She's hurt. Oh, look, this is paying attention. I sit here. I read a book for 15 minutes. Oh, this is how you set the table to be helpful at dinner. Okay, so those roads in the brain 
are not being built in the common child, the everyday average person, their roads go to, hey, can I watch a little bit more YouTube? Now it's time for me to play my video game. Hey, I need to get on my social media. So what we're finding in the brain is all these parts that atrophy, they're pruned away. So truly, when your kid becomes an adult and has problems, you know, talking, communicating with other people, problems sitting through a college lecture, sitting through something at work that isn't so exciting, those, that's all brain development. And so we really have to kind of see ourselves as the guardian of our child's brain and that all roads can't lead to YouTube and to TikTok and to TV. They need to lead other places. And you as a parent have to step in to do that. Are there any particular um, apps or social media uh, things that are kind of raising a lot of red flags for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you, you know, if you watch a documentary like The Social Dilemma, which I would highly recommend, it shows you from the insiders who designed it, like the co-creator, for instance, of the like button on Facebook, it shows you how they have used everything from brain science to psychology to get people to be online. So things like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, they they are designed to be bottomless. So there's no end to it, right? If you would pick up a newspaper or a magazine, there's an end. There's a beginning, there's an end, you walk away. When you're on something like social media, like those those platforms, there is no end. It's completely bottomless. And it's like they know exactly what you want. They know what your hot buttons are. So they're constantly feeding you what's going to get you hot under the collar and get you all excited. So they keep you pressing. And then even the way it's created, how interesting. So on Facebook, for instance, when you post a photograph, let's say you guys take this beautiful Salvation Army picture and you tag all your friends. Well, now your friends on their phone will get something that says, you've been tagged in a photo. So what does that make you want to do? That makes you want to see like what, what photo am I in? Now, the designers talked about that they could have put the photo right in that message. So you could, with one look, you know, look at what it was. But no, they want you to now get into the app, look through it, and then get caught doing other things. And so for parents to realize these things are not neutral, you know, if my child is playing a first uh, person shooter game, that's going to be a lot different than if they're playing Tetris or some kind of puzzle game. So just to realize that they're not all equal. And you've got to be pretty vigilant to shut down the things that that are more addictive. Well, that's as you point out, uh, this technology is inevitable, and of course, the new generation are native to the social media, et cetera, technology. And I, I'm just curious, how did you get your children to buy in to not being overwhelmed by technology? Absolutely. It's a great question. So if you have young kids, young grandkids, you have a wonderful advantage of really being able to shape and influence the way they grow up so that they see that, oh, it's normal to go out and play on our bicycles. It's normal to go learn a sport. It's normal to go play the piano to help out. So so they see this pace of life that it's not just always oh, sit here and stare at my screen. So a lot of it is caught. Like, how is the rhythm of your life? So then you realize, no, I don't want to be looking at a screen eight hours a day. Like, that that would not be healthy for me. From the very beginning, there were expectations. 
you know, we're not going to be this family. We're not going to be a video game family. You're not going to get a phone. You're not going to go on social media, et cetera. But in that context, you have to be a fun family, right? You can't be like, well, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do that. And you're just going to be chained to your you know, house and we're not going to let you do anything. No, it can't be like that. You've got to show we're going to have fun. And that doesn't mean you have to be the cruise director for 24 hours a day for your child, but it means you love them. You speak the love languages to them, like Dr. Gary Chapman would teach. You support them when you see, wow, this one's got a talent for piano. Let's get them lessons. This one likes to draw. Let's get art equipment. You know, you're supporting them. You're supporting their non-screen interests. And you have, you're teaching them, my job is to prepare you for life. And these video games, this stuff, it doesn't really prepare you for life. And you need a stubbornness in your soul as a parent to say, you know what, just because everyone else is doing it, it doesn't mean it's good for you. You know, depression is through the roof with girls, especially even young girls from 10 to 14 years old, that they're being admitted into the hospital for self-harm at a rate of 300% more than they used to be. What's the difference? They're on phones, they're on their social media, they're getting their value there instead of the love of a parent and real competence in the real world of doing something. So once your kids realize I am competent, see, that's what's important. I'm competent at whether it's school, music, art, sports, and they have their confidence, then they kind of see this other stuff is kind of fake and and brittle. So my daughter, who's a freshman, you know, who has no social media, she'll say, you know, mom, I actually had someone come up to me and say, you're really lucky. She's like, why? Well, you don't have a phone. You don't have social media. You're free. Right. And to my daughter that like, she's like, mom, not that many people say that to me, but she gets it. Like she understands. And she'll say, you know, social media, my daughter will say social media is really fake. People are just figuring out, trying to figure out like, how can I get a follower? She's like, I don't want a follower. I want like someone to hang out with during the weekend. You know, I want like a real friend who will say, I like you and you're a good person. So she was saying that's so much more valuable than a social media following. So help your children enjoy the richness of real friendship, real family, real competence. Then they see, oh, this stuff online is really shallow and passing and it just comes and goes. And then you realize it's not that important. And it really stokes creativity in your kids because, you know, my junior in high school who doesn't have a phone, he's still the captain of the debate team. He's still a co-captain of another team, Quiz Bowl team. He still has to communicate with people. So he does that through a Google voice number. He borrows my phone whenever he wants to. So the people who think your kid can't survive if they don't have the tech, they're wrong. Your kid can survive and it actually makes them creative. And the last thing I want to say about this is what the tech does is when your kid has a problem, they just text mom. Mom, what do I do? Right? They're like 25 years old. They're texting mom. What do I do? Right? But when the kid doesn't have a phone, they have to solve their own problems like we used to. And that's a super important skill. And once kids understand, I am becoming a much more capable human being than my peers that are just like staring down at their phone all the time, that helps breed that confidence that says, I'm okay to be different. Well, it's interesting because as you're talking about that, I'm, I'm remembering how back in my childhood, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I'm aware of it now. I mean, my parents were teaching me critical thinking skills, turn off the Jetsons and get outside and play 
right? And, and so there is uh, there's an intentionality, basically, is what you're you're saying to the parents: be involved, kind of, you know. And, and you're not you're not advocating like everybody should put their phones in a in a jar of vinegar and you know forget right. about it for a while, <laughs> yeah. right? I I, I I see what you're 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 really striving for a sense of balance. Yeah, and the kids will be better having that balance with their technology if their childhood years are spent without it, right? If your five-year-old, seven-year-old, nine-year-old is really used to all the free time is going to technology, then when they're teenagers, it's going to just blow up, and right? So all I'm saying is let them, as they have a childhood, let them experience a real childhood. Then when they're older and they have their phone and they have their social media and they're working and they're on email, they'll know how to handle it better. My uh, my oldest daughter, she's a single single mom, and yeah. she's got a, a four four and a half year old, and it's kind of fun because last night she was asking if I can find the the old games like Candyland and some of the yeah. other things that we had because she's she's being very intentional about screen time and when my grandson could actually look at a a video online and right, but. You know, it, it really gets back to a parent has got to be involved. We we can't let the computers do the parenting. We can't just as I couldn't my parents couldn't let the TV do the parenting. You know, they had to be engaged. Yeah. Yeah. It's the idea that screens will disciple your kids. And so if you don't want the screens to do it, you know, you've got to limit it and you've got to get in there. And I will say it's hard at the beginning. You feel like, wow, this is a fight. But once you get over that first wave and you're like in the ocean, it's much calmer. Like your home in the future will be much calmer if you're not always fighting about, you can't play that video game. That, you know, that video is completely inappropriate. Now you've got porn in your pocket. Those battles are very hard. So if you will do the hard thing at first, I promise it will be easier as your child grows up. Yeah, it's interesting. You refer to discipleship. Um, it seems with all the media streaming at us, the the messages are bombarding us, and it's hard to find time to be silent, to learn how to cope with silence, to learn how to cope with proactivity. So there's a deeper, you know, theological issue. How, how do we listen to God? You know, in, with this technology bombarding us. And if your child is used to sending a text, and within seconds getting a response, then they go to pray and they've been doing this for years and they pray about something. They wait a week. God didn't answer. He must not be real. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's teaching like this really false sense of, I have a lot of choice in life. I'm to be amused and my answers come easy and my answers don't come easy. I give up. Right. Because you used to go to the library, have to look something up. Now you just say, you know, Siri, who is this? And they tell you. <laughs> so, so you're right. You're right that to have that patience with other people, to wait on God, that takes another skill that the screens don't teach you. They actually, they actually foster the opposite. Where do you think this technology is going to lead the next generation if, if this kind of goes unchecked? I think we will see a lot of groupthink that whoever controls the social media, the news, what people see that's what people will believe. So that's a scary thought, you know, so someone who is manipulative and evil could very easily in a generation, you know, 
dupe a whole lot bunch of people. So that's, I think, really scary. And even with what's happening in the church, you know, uh, just the thought that years ago, if a person raised in church had questions, they would, they might ask like a youth group leader or a parent or an aunt or uncle, like I am having doubts about God. But today when a kid raised in church looks like they're, you know, everything's going great. They have a question about God. Now they're on the computer and they're learning all these things about why God doesn't exist. These are the arguments against Christianity, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's okay to think critically about that, but that kid now maybe has spent a year being discipled by these celebrities on the screen that the parent doesn't even know about. And then when it finally comes out, the parent's like, how did my child turn away from God? And so they're really, I think that's a scary thing that there's a lot of false information online that kids see as true. And so that objective truth, that's going to be hard. I think things for the church, things for democracy, things for spiritual growth. I think those are bad outcomes. And just people not remembering that, oh, when you're at lunch with someone, you're supposed to talk to them. Like, what if nobody remembers that? <laughs> and every lunch meal you see across the country in 50 years are basically people sitting next to each other, staring at the computer, right? That's like awful. So those would be a few of the concerns. It's no joke. I mean, I remember dealing with my kids in a group, you know, outside of school or any session. They didn't really know how to organize themselves and be proactive and playing even, you know, because they're used to being manipulated. I saw that show that you referred to. Boy, that is a amazing show in terms of uh, how the ingenuity behind the social media and technology is taking place on a practical level. You know, so many kids now are, you know, attending school remotely and it is such a challenge. Um, how do we as parents, grandparents navigate children attending virtual schools and being on zoom and the like for what could be more six hours a day, and especially how do single parents cope oh, with that so reality? Hard. Yeah. yeah. And my heart just goes out to you. It it is a struggle because if you are if you have the opportunity to be home, then that's a little easier. So the advice would be, you know, have your child be in a particular place for school so they kind of know, okay, this is where I sit. So it's not a question of where do I go today, you know, but have a normal place for your child to sit. Try to make it as distraction-free as possible, you know, un as uncluttered as possible, just to help them think. And for those kids who are really distracted, maybe you need to sit next to your kid for the first few minutes of each day and kind of get them on the right track, uh, check in on them from time to time if they're younger, things like like that. Um, but you know what, if you're not able to do that, it's very hard because you're not sure what, what is my kid doing? <laughs> Are they actually really paying attention? And so, right. So maybe it is external rewards that you're providing that I'm not opposed to that at all to say, Hey, if you can uh, turn in all your work, as you're supposed to, without me talking to you about it, we're going to go out for cheesecake over the weekend, you know, or whatever it is. And just helping your child develop that motivation for, I will do this because I know it's good for me. And that's, for some kids, that's going to come naturally. And from other kids, it's going to be like, I, you know, like, you just can't get me to do anything. And that's really hard and especially hard for the single parent. So I, I would say, instead of thinking this defeatist, you know, like, oh, this is just the way it is. It's just, just going to be a year to like skip and then we'll just get caught up next year. Instead of thinking like that, think what's one thing that would really help my child this week in school? 
and just start thinking that way, like be positive and think, you know what, this week has got to be better than next week than last week. And what's one thing? Okay, maybe we're doing a sticker chart for our younger kids. And every time you finish your homework, you get a sticker. And once you get so many stickers, we go out to the dollar store, you know, whatever it is, but you're thinking through, how can I help my child to be motivated to do this and, and celebrate the wins so that your child feels like, okay, I'm being celebrated. So, Hey, you're reading for 10 minutes. This is great. And, and you, you pour on those love languages. If it's, if it's words of affirmation, you're very specific. I saw you trudge through that math, spend 15 minutes to do that problem. That should that you wouldn't give up and that's really great, right? If they're a time kid, then you sit next to them during dinner and you're not rushed and, and you give that time. So speak your child's love language and just ask yourself, what's one thing I could do to make this better for you? And then when school's over, that's when it's important to be like, okay, let's go get some exercise. <laughs> let's go see the sunshine or, or the clouds. You know, let's, let's get out because you've been sitting still for so long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's such a challenge, uh, and kids are good. You know, they're they're they're. You know, I love kids, but they're they're like, well, I don't know the technology. I can't, you know, tie into my class. I can't do the homework, etc. So I talked to one teacher who said the only way she's dealing with this is she has to be very severe, and you know, mark them down if they're not participating. Yeah, it's very hard, both for the teacher and the student. Yeah. It is hard, and you know, in a in a fairy tale world, I think, oh, if everyone just went didn't go online and the kids just started reading textbooks again and, and writing on paper, I bet everyone would get smarter this year. Mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know right. it's a bit of a pipe dream, but well, if we said, you know, don't forget about it, don't worry about those calls, but here are your books to read for the week and do a report about them. And I bet the kids would get a lot smarter. We've been talking a lot uh, around our circles here. We produced a book recently called Rest for the Rest of Us. So Sabbath is on our mind quite a bit. And the idea of creating space, uh, how, how can a, a parent go about uh, creating a, a sphere of, of, of a digital Sabbath for their children? Such a beautiful question and something we talk about in Screen Kids with Dr. Gary Chapman. So there was an author of Hamlet's Blackberry. His name is William Powers, uh, a married couple with a son, teenage son, good family. But they just realized, you know what, every weekend we just kind of do our own thing. So they tried an experiment and they, their digital Sabbath meant turning off the Wi-Fi on Friday night and not turning it back on till Monday morning. So they did this experiment. So you could, you could scoff and laugh and think, could your family handle such a digital Sabbath? So for several weeks, they were like, this is awful. This is the worst idea ever. We want back on our computers where, you know, what are we supposed to do with all this, these chunks of time? So they truly said for like three months, we were like, this is awful. But by month four, they said something happened and we started really looking forward to, oh, we can rest over the weekend. And people know we're not going to respond to the email on Saturday or Sunday. We will respond on Monday morning and we're going to get off the grid. We're going to relax. And it became something very beautiful for their family. So whether it is a digital Sabbath where you go Wi-Fi free, maybe a whole weekend once a year, or maybe you want to do it every weekend, or maybe you want to do it once uh, you know, like all day Sunday, or maybe that really frightens you and your family. <laughs> you just want to do it Sunday afternoon. But the idea of a recurring time in the week where your devices are powered off so that you can have rest for your brain, rest for your soul, choose something that's restorative. For some people, that's going to be, I just want to sit quiet and read a book. 
For others, it's going to be, hey, I want to go play soccer with my friends, you know. So whatever recharges you that's away from the screen, that's going to be really healthy for you. Well, the technology is in place. You know, in our area, we have Cox Communications and Xfinity, and they both promote the the control really rests with the parent. You can, you know, you can shut off your or put time yeah. brackets on on that that control again it gets back to self-discipline and really that that really rests on our role as parents doesn't it yeah yeah your child is probably not going to say you know we should reset the wi-fi password so i don't get in like you know <laughs> your child's not going to be like i've been playing video games till 3 a.m in the morning i probably should stop that you know so that yes that's going to be a parental thing and and i think parents underestimate because we feel overwhelmed by the technology by the peers and all this but truly as a parent you have more influence than you think and not to be afraid to do the hard things and to be unpopular in the moment. Your child isn't going to say like, oh, great, we're having a Sabbath rest. This is wonderful. You know, they're going to stare at you and scream at you and yes. slam the door and give you the silent treatment for two weeks. So it's it might not be pleasant. And then, and then it does fall on you because all of a sudden now they're looking at you like, okay, then what are you going to do with me? Right. So that, so then it, it does take that work. However, when you look at it, you've got 18 summers with this precious child. And really those first 10 years are, I think, where they're really tuned into you and they really want to do what you say. So you don't want to waste those first 10 years of their life by just, you know, letting someone else tell them what to do. You want to be there to shape them. And so take advantage. So yes, it takes extra time to do the digital Sabbath and to do things as a family together. But those are the memories your kids will make that will be precious to you and them all their life. So referring to what Colonel said, this what you're telling for kids is really true for parents. Dad can't go sneak off and check his email yeah, in exactly. the middle of the weekend. Like, Dad, what are you doing in the closet yeah, right. with, your, with your news? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, this kind of, this is a rather uh, a bigger question for you. And as a mom, you have experience. How do you recommend parents introduce their children to technology at what ages and stages? And how do parents best monitor the children's online activities? Yeah. So just think there was a Facebook executive that said this, whoever gets the phone last in the classroom wins. So I really want you to think delay, delay, delay. I don't want you to think like, well, they're getting close to the line, so maybe I'll let them. Instead, I want in your mind to think, how can I push this back? Because interview some of your friends who have older kids and see if there's anyone that you can find in the whole wide world that says, I wish I would have given my child a smartphone sooner, or I wish I would have let them play Fortnite sooner. Or I wish I would have let them use Instagram and social media. There is not a person on the planet, a parent, who would say, yeah, that was so good for my kid that I wish I did it sooner. But you will find 99% of parents say, oh, I should have waited. I should have just waited a little bit. So I really encourage you. You know, every family is different. I, I, you look at Steve Jobs. He knew a few things when, when the iPad was introduced and when the reporter from the New York Times came to interview him and he thought it was a softball question. Hey, how do your kids like the iPad? Oh, uh, I don't let my kids use the iPad. It's like, okay, Steve Jobs doesn't let his kids use the iPad. Uh, Bill Gates didn't allow his children to have cell phones till they were in high school. 
uh, you know, there was an editor of Wired that talked about how uh, he didn't allow his kids to have iPads because they were, quote, gaming crack. So, you know, I think we need to get wise and say to ourselves, wait a minute, if the people who invented this are not using it with their own children, then why in the world am I? So, so get kind of get in that space and ask yourself the question, does my child need this? Not does my child want this? So does my child really need a phone? Probably not. You know, you think of ele- elementary school student, most of us are dropping off our elementary student or and picking them up or the bus. You know, there's not a whole lot of play of why do they need that phone. If you really feel like they need it for that safety, then get a dumb phone, just a phone that texts and calls, but that does not connect to the internet because that way your child could contact you, but then your child is not contacted by a predator, is doesn't have porn, doesn't have the slot machine in the pocket, you get it. So go with a dumb phone if you think that's why. So, you know, for my family, we haven't had a good reason to have a phone. So our high schoolers still don't have a phone and we have found it works really beautiful. Now I get it. We are extreme weirdo people. (laughs) I totally get that. But I would certainly say elementary school students do not need a phone. And I would question if middle schoolers do. Because think in middle school, they're prefrontal cortex, the part of their brain that's like, this is a good idea. Okay. That part is just not, nothing's happening <laughs> up there. <laughs> so you give a middle schooler, Hey, here's your phone now. And then it's, it's not a great mix. So I would really caution in middle school also. Well, when you, when you mentioned middle school, it triggers me. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I'm going to forget those three years of my life completely. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're, we're big fans of Dr. Chapman, and we are now a big fan of Arlene Pellicane. And we have one more question for you. Because you guys like the number five, our last question is the, the five love languages. And by the way, Elizabeth, I think, is Dr. Chapman's biggest fan. Oh, she's, that's so cool. She's, she, we're going to get her to voice in here in a second. Yes. And rightfully so. He is worthy of fandom. <laughs> I love his books. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, when we, she got to participate in two interviews with him, I think she fainted the whole time. So you know. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Nearly. Yeah. <laughs> so Arlene, what are the five skills every child needs in a tech driven world? Yeah, and you will see these fleshed out in Screen Kids, but you all know about the A pluses in school, the academic A's. But these are five A's. So just imagine that your child or your grandchild has these the skill of affection, they know how to give love and receive love, the skill of appreciation, they're a grateful at the core, they're a grateful human being. They're, they're someone that says thank you instead of, well, I didn't get one or his is bigger than mine or that person, right? Who wants that? Nobody wants this entitled child. The third is anger management. We all get mad, but what do we do with that anger? How do we deal with it? Apology. How can we say I'm sorry and take responsibility for what we've done that's wrong instead of blaming someone else or just 
not returning someone's texts because you've done the wrong thing. You know, how can someone truly learn how to apologize? And then the last A plus skill is attention. How can a child pay attention to be able to read a book and understand it, to be able to listen to a teacher and for that teacher not to every five minutes have to say, hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, pay attention, pay attention, right? So to pay attention. So these skills, affection, appreciation, anger management, apology, attention. If your child leaves your home and these muscles are really strong, they're going to make a wonderful contribution in the world. Wow. that That's powerful. Jeff, that affection, appreciation, anger management, apologizing, yep. and apology, attention. Yeah. I th- I think he, Jeff, keeps saying I need more of that in my life. <laughs> no, no. We all do. But, you know, I I pray for this next generation to have such potential. And at the same time, these character qualities are so important to cultivate. Well, Arlene, we really thank you for taking the time today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our, our listeners? I just thank you so much for listening and thank you for fighting the good fight. And and truly, you can sometimes look outside in the world and think this is discouraging, but what you can do something about is your family. And if you've been listening and you're like, oh, no, it's too late, it's not too late. If your kids are in your home, like, does that lady know we play video games? Like, it's okay. okay." (laughs) So, you know, you just assess in your home. You know, what are the problem points? What's one thing this week you could do to help? And maybe that's taking uh, their screens out of your child's bedroom, for instance. That's a great first step, whether they're a small child or whether they're 18, just so they can get a good night's sleep, uh, you know, so things like that. So just instead of feeling bad or guilty, just know you can make a difference starting today and think of that one specific thing that will help move the needle in your family and bring you guys closer together. And of course, the book Screen Kids and Grandparenting Screen Kids, we're here to help you down that road. Again, Arlene, thank you for joining us today. And we pray God's blessing over this book and uh, your future too. We know that uh, there's probably other things percolating in your heart and soul and in your mind. And we we look forward to having a conversation with uh, what comes down the road uh, in the future for you. Thank you so much. Such a blessing for me to chat with you today. Thanks so much. Well, that's going to end this episode of the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to your podcast at. And don't forget to follow us at thewarcry.org and also our Z Generation magazine, peermag.org on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But limit, limit (laughs) your visits there. Don't Habitually, Jeff, just don't keep picking it up and liking everything that comes your way. Because well, peer, peer is where to go. That's peer is that's okay. Is is where you go. But of course, everything in moderation and using discipline in our lives is important. And we hope that this resource will be helpful to you. Uh, for those of you that have children, or you're a grandparent, or you're thinking about having children, think about uh, these principles. And in particular, I think the last uh, five points are very, very important, those skills that all of us can, um, you know, spend some time thinking about in our own life. Affection, appreciation, anger management, apologize, and attention. Thank you for listening to the Fight for Good podcast. Bye for now. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.